Contending for the faith one verse at a time. This is Truth Matters Church. The book of Revelation begins with a blessing. Blessed is he who reads, hears, and keeps the words of this prophecy. What exactly is this blessing? Well, today, Pastor Alex Cataroja exposits this unique passage, and we find that the blessing is tied to a promise that God made 4,000 years ago. But before we get started, we'd like to invite you to check out our free 24-hour online stream featuring expository Bible teaching, Christ-centered devotionals, and sermons from great preachers of the past. Visit truthmattersradio.com to listen. That's truthmattersradio.com. And now with today's study, here is Pastor Alex. Okay, we will be continuing our study in the book of Revelation. We will be picking up, well, we'll pick up in verse 1 because 2 and 3 kind of flows right into it. So we'll read the first three verses. Uh, but for the title for our message or our study today is Blessed is He. How many of us have read Blessed is He? We've read it. What does that mean? And did you come away blessed? Or did you just read it and was it words that just stayed on the page but didn't do anything in your heart? Well, we're going to look into that when we get to that portion of the text and to see, you know, what is it? What is this blessing, this promised blessing that is available to those who read, hear, and understand? So with that, we will, we will be looking at verses 2 and 3 very closely. But what we'll do just to, we'll, we'll read the first three verses to get reminded of our text today. We'll read the first three verses of Revelation, and I'll be reading from the NAS. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. And as we've covered the last couple of studies in verse 1, we went really in-depth into that. Um, and I think it goes without saying, Jesus knows the future, even in the Olivet Discourse. Jesus knew the end-time events. He laid it out for his disciples. And what we came away with was when he said, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not, you know, not the Son, not the angels, but the Father only. Jesus knew the future, but in terms of the day and hour of when those will come to pass has been something that was only reserved for the Father. And what we came away with from that study is after his death and resurrection, ascension and exaltation, he was exalted by his Father. And then he received the full disclosure of the day and hour of everything that he knew was coming, but now he knows exactly when it's going to be. And a, a good way to say it is, um, when we, we talked a little bit about last time about uh, his first miracle, when he was at a wedding and they ran out of wine, and so that's a crisis at that time. And his mom came up to him and said, you know, we're out of wine. He goes, what is it to woman? What is it to me? You know, but actually, when you read it in the Greek, it was very polite. Sounds kind of cold on our, in our language. But he says, my time has not yet come. But then his mom says, whatever he does, do it. 
And as far as the day and the hour, when you kind of look at the Olivet Discourse, the time has not yet come for him to be revealed, the day and hour of his coming. It wasn't his time yet. He didn't enter into his glory yet. And now that he's entered into his glory and he's given the full details of his father's plan now, now it's time. And it's given to us in this very book. So we spent the last couple of weeks really talking through that. Now let's look at verse 2, shall we? It says there, Who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. So let's look at verse 2. So testify is the Greek word matorio, and it means to bear witness or to testify. So in our English translation, we, we get our English word martyr. Now as we know, martyr or martyrdom is associated with being killed. For, your, for bearing witness for your testimony. But just a, a technicality, a technicality, just like the, the book of Revelation, Revelation is apocalypsis, which means the unveiling, the uncovering of Jesus Christ. And as part of that unveiling, before he's unveiled at that certain time, that there will be cataclysmic events. So the apocalypse, the unveiling, becomes associated with kind of doomsday events. But in, in reality, really, the, apoc- the apocalypsis, the, the unveiling, is really just the unveiling. It happens to have those things. But in the same way, when we get our English word martyr, it really means to bear witness and testify. It doesn't necessarily mean that you die for it. You're a martyr because you are bearing witness and you're testifying. And in the case of Christianity throughout its existence, right, since the first century, as we know, there's been a lot of people believers who have been killed for bearing the testimony or for trying to preserve the word of God or trying to translate the word of God from its original to another language. There's been a lot of blood that has been shed and lost, lives lost. Um, And so martyr has been associated with that. But here in verse 2, when it says testify to the word of God, it really is talking about one who is bearing witness and as we know, at least in Scripture, when, it comes, when, it, when we're talking about, well, who's the first kind of person who bore witness to Jesus Christ and was actually killed? It was Stephen. And who was there to witness and give a hearty approval of that death? Saul, the Apostle Paul. But in verse 2, the, so first of all, the father bear witness on himself, right? The, the, the father is testifying He gives it to his son. The son gives it to the angel. The angel gave it to John. And John is giving it to us. But its source started with the father. So the book of Revelation, because John technically was the human agency that wrote this, it's John's testimony on behalf of Jesus. We're reading the book of Revelation. The apostle John. He's saying he bore, he's bearing witness of the angel who's bearing witness from Christ who bore witness from his father, where it ultimately came from, bore witness. So there's this chain. And what we have in our very possession is that testimony. In fact, uh, the Gospel of John, as he calls it, it's a testimony on behalf of Jesus. I mean, you could really say the entire Bible is a testimony concerning Jesus, of course. Uh, but since we're in the book of Revelation, and since John is the author, I do want to cross-reference his gospel at the end of chapter 21. 
And what's interesting, when you read the Gospel of John, you know, he refers himself to, uh, as a third person. Have you ever done that? Refer to yourself in a third person? Oftentimes you do that if you want to kind of deflect. But as we know with John, he took it, uh, he embellished in that a little bit, didn't he? Called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's a good way to kind of, you know, if you're going to call yourself in a third person, that's a good way to, you know, to really kind of spoil yourself, I guess you can say. But at the, at the end of chapter 21 of his gospel, uh, the same Greek word is there. He says, this is the disciple who is testifying material to these things and wrote these things. And we know that his, John's testimony is true. Now, why is John's testimony true? You know, like when we're reading the scripture, right now we're reading the book of Revelation. John is saying, I'm bearing witness. I was with Jesus. I was with him during his entire earthly ministry. I observed him. I saw all of his miracles. In fact, he said in his gospel that had he wrote all of the miracles that he's done during the three and a half years or so that he was in ministry, he said there wouldn't be enough books to contain it. And that's why when you read the gospel, you know, the first John, look, you know, I've, that which I've seen, which I have touched, you know, like he embraced Christ. He was with him. He ate with him, slept with him. He, he followed him wherever he went. He's like, I was with this man. And he's like, I'm bearing witness. He's writing down. And on top of that, not only is he a first eyewitness account, he's also saying, oh, by the way, I was chosen by Jesus himself to be not only his disciple, but me along with the other 11 were also called to be an apostle. So the apostle, it's an official office in God's program. It's the equivalent of a prophet. So John is saying, Jesus made him an apostle. Not only does he have his eyewitness account, but Jesus himself gave him the office of an apostle. And as an apostle, you have the authority to write scripture, to speak in God's name, in God's anoma or authority. And as we know, what authenticated the office of an apostle when you follow the first century church, especially in the, it's called the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, what authenticated that someone was an apostle was the signs and wonders and miracles that they did. They did pretty much the same kind of miracles that Jesus did. So John is saying, as he's writing Revelation, he's bearing witness when he's writing Revelation, just like he's bearing witness when he wrote the Gospel of John. And he's saying, because it's from John himself, the one whom Jesus loved, remember, and the one whom Jesus chose to be an apostle, his words and its source can be trusted. Trust is only as good as, I guess you can say, its source. Our trust can only go so far as people. I think even with each other, we can only trust each other so far because we're not perfect and we can hurt each other, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally. So in terms of trust, you know, there's like different levels, but as far as the source, if it comes from ultimately from God, then there's really nothing to worry about. You know, God is not in it to play games with you. And to show that and to demonstrate that, he even, the Father, sent his Son to die for us so that we can have everlasting life with him. So if, if we, and when it comes to you know, trusting the testimony of anyone, there's nothing that can surpass 
the source of God. So the source of our very book, again, as I mentioned, is from the Father to the Son to Jesus' angels to John, and now John is giving it to the church. So a good way to say it is the, the words of the Bible, including the book of Revelation, it's from heaven. The Bible that we're studying, its origin is not of this world. So if it seems foreign to us, it doesn't make sense to us, seems mysterious to us, seems like it's on another planet, because technically it is. But with God's Spirit, we have an opportunity and and a lens into His mind. In verse 2, I'd like to call out a few things. And I've mentioned this before. And if I'm a broken record, pardon me, but you know who is my biggest role model in Scripture? The Apostle Paul. You know who repeats himself a lot? The Apostle Paul. Because sometimes we're dull of hearing. Sometimes it, we don't get it the first time. So if I'm repeating myself, please don't take it as an insult. It's just really to make sure that, okay, you, what you've heard before, or you might have heard, it's going to get confirmed again and get confirmed again and get confirmed again. And that's how we grow in our faith, because we hear the same truth in different ways over and over and over until it becomes kind of second nature. But I'd like to call out that John wrote the vision of Revelation exactly the way it was given to him. John wrote what he was commanded to write, and John did not write what he was commanded not to write. And what I'm going to get into the habit of doing, instead of me telling you, I'm going to show you through the scripture. I'm not just you know, making, you know, giving you my opinion. I'm going to say, well, no, this is how it was given, and I'm going to show you, and because of that, that's what we're going to do. So let me show you that he, he pretty much did exactly what he did, what he was told. Uh, so in chapter 1, verse 1, write in a book what you see. Chapter 1, verse 19, write the things which you have seen. 2.11, no, 2.1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write. 2.8, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write. 2.12, to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write. 2.18, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write. To the angel of the church in Sardis, write. 3.1, 3.7, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write. 3.14, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write. And when John is given these instructions, he's taking it exactly as it's given to him. Let's keep going. There's more. And there was one time he was told not to write, and that was in 10 verse 4. I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, seal up the things which the seven peals of thunder have spoken, and do not write them. Guess what? John didn't write them. 14, 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. 19.9, then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And this is probably my, one of my favorite, and it's definitely chapters and one of the verses. And he who sits on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write, for these words are faithful and true. So all throughout this letter, we went through the entire letter. John wrote what he was commanded to write. He wrote the vision exactly as it was given to him. 
in sequence and in order it was given to him. He wrote it as it was given to him. And he was commanded, when he was commanded not to write, he didn't write it. And we're going to do that for our Revelation study. We're going to read it the way John was given it. We're going to receive the book of Revelation and the visions the way John received it. We're not going to deviate from any of the visions. And like we've done in our Daniel study, we're going to interpret the visions to the extent we can using Scripture. We're not going to reorder or reorganize the visions unless, of course, there is a clear time marker given in Scripture. And I mentioned this in our, as an example in our study last week when you were, let's say you were to read the creation account. And you read the, the six-day creation and God rested on the seven. And that was in chapter one. But then in chapter 2, it's focused on day 6 of creation when God created Adam and Eve. So even though you know, the seventh day was recorded, when you get to chapter 2, it refers back to the sixth day. So unless, when we're reading the book of Revelation, we're going to take it that same way unless there's something that says, oh, you're going back to this one. And then, then we'll go forward from there, if that makes sense. We're going to do the same thing. We're going to treat the, the book of Revelation, I like to call it like this, marching orders. You know, for those of us in the military, you know, there's marching orders. There's, there's someone in command, and there's someone who's giving the orders, and it's to be executed, you know, obeyed and executed in the way you know, it was received. So look at it this way. The father gave the marching orders. He delivered it to the son, or he revealed it to the son. The son gave it to his angel, and the angel gave it to John, and John gave it to us. So we're going to look at the book of Revelation as marching orders from heaven in the order that it was given and in the sequence that it was given. We are not going to add or write into Scripture what it didn't write, and this is what and it, it really like, drives me crazy, I guess you can say, when... If you read, like, let's see, you know, any, anyone teaching this or, you know, commentaries, they're writing in what John didn't write. They're filling in the blanks for them. And some even just cross out some things because they, don't, they have a certain view. So they're like, oh, they'll take a black marker and just cross that out because that doesn't align with my understanding of what I've accepted. We're not going to do any of that. If John didn't write it, I'm not going to speak on what he didn't write. We're going to stick to what he wrote. We're not going to twist Revelation. We're not going to twist other scripture to support a view that we hold or anyone might hold. So the application from verse 2 is we're going to bear the same witness. So, so right now, I'm going to, with God's help, I'm going to do my, help, my best with his help to bear the same testimony. Just pretty much give it to you the way John was given it. Because the source of Revelation and the rest of scripture is from heaven and its words are faithful and true and worthy to be trusted and believe. So we're going to study it in the way it was given. We're not going to mess with it. And as I mentioned, for me, this has been a pretty, pretty cool journey because, you know, you hear a lot of things, you know, you, you might pieces of stuff, but to, to now kind of just take it the way it is and see where it lands, it's been really, really enlightening in that way. So I, I've been enjoying it and hopefully you will too. Are you ready to look at verse three? I don't get too excited. This is the blessed is he. Verse 3, we're going we're gonna to park here until the very end. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, 
for the time is near. Now it says, blessed is he, which is the title of our message, is makarios. And blessed, you know what it means? Happy. It means happy. And if you, it's interesting, if you kind of do um, a word search, you know, if you're trying to do like a, a search into kind of the, the thought or the philosophy surrounding happy, it's from the word, you know, happenstance. Uh, you know, happy is something that, you, you know, it, you might feel it for one moment and then it's gone, right? Can we all know that? So it's kind of like by chance. It has this idea of chance when you kind of look at its original meaning, intended meaning. Because if we could be happy all the time, wouldn't you want to be happy all the time? If we can flip a switch? But here in verse 3, when it says, Blessed is he who reads and those who hears the words of the prophecy, it means happy. Happy is he. Joy. And this is joy inside that may express itself outside in dancing and song and in praise. And those are good times when we get to that, when you're just praising in, in, in that moment. You're happy. So the book of Revelation opens with a promised blessing, and it also closes with a promised blessing. And I want to show you that blessing at the close of this book. And behold, Revelation 22.7, this is Jesus speaking, and behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed Makarios, happy is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. And the book of Revelation, beside you know, what makes it unique, and it's unique in a lot of ways, but one way is it's the only book with a promised blessing in the beginning and a promised blessing in the end. But now what I want to do is, what is this promised blessing tied to? Because that's what we can quote-unquote, tap into, meditate on, reflect on, so that it can result in makarios and happy and in joy. So what, I'm, what I'd like to do is we're going to look at the Scripture, and what's pretty cool is we're going to spend some time in the Old Testament because we're going to follow, we're going to survey the rest of Scripture, and we're going to say, where, the, where does this blessing start? that is tied to the blessing that's promised here in this very book. And I do want to mention, I'm not going to focus on every blessing. <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's, that's another study in and of itself. So, for example, in the creation account, God blessed Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. I'm not talking about kind of blessings in that way. What I'm talking about, and I want to focus on this, and this is one of our uh, when we talked about you know, a lot of the legwork and, and prep work we did to get to the study of this book, is I want to focus on the covenantal blessings that has a promise tied to it, and with it will result in happiness. And then obviously tied to the promised blessing in the book of Revelation. And when you survey the scripture, you're like, okay, when was there a, a, a promised blessing from heaven given among men? And that promised blessing was given to a man who was initially named Abram, whom God later changed his name to Abraham. So the Abrahamic covenant is the first covenant blessing that comes with it happiness and joy. Because obviously we know that it's going to be rooted in salvation. But in the, the Abrahamic covenant is 
recorded for us in, in a couple of places, but I'd like to start in Genesis 12. And we'll read the three verses there, first three verses. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country, and from your relatives, and from your father's house, to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you. There's a blessing. So God's saying, I will bless you, Abram, and you shall be a blessing, Abram. You're going to be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, Abram. And the ones who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth. Wow, that, now it's more beyond Abram. All the families of the earth will be blessed. Here's a truth. The promised blessing, blessed is he who reads and heeds the words of the prophecy. Its foundation is in the Abrahamic covenant. Which means that the promised blessing is tied to Abram, to the land, and to the people of Israel. But it expands beyond them to all the families of the earth. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 122, 6 and 7, he says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you, Jerusalem. May peace be within your walls and prosperity within your palaces. And you read that throughout Psalms. Here's, here's where I'm getting at. I know we have a lot of, a lot of us aren't Jews. Ethnically, we, we could be one thing or a mutt. But here's the truth. Were it not for the Abrahamic covenant, had God not entered into a covenant with Abram and made this promised blessing, we're doomed. And that promised blessing is tied to Abram, to his descendants, to the holy land that he was going to give them. Here's, here's what I'm getting at. As believers of Jesus Christ, regardless of your ethnic background, you should have an affinity to the land and the people of Israel. Why? Why? Because that's foreign to us. Well, that's where the blessing started. We are receiving the covenant blessings that was promised to a people and to a land. There's no other people in all of creation from the time of Adam till now to the end where God chose to be his people and identified them to be his people. There's no other place on this planet that God set his name and saying, okay, this people and this land and this city will be called by my name. So because of that, and our faith is in God, the Creator, He identified with that holy land, with the people, and with the covenant blessing, I mean, with the covenant that He entered into with Abram, Abraham. We're going to be there. We're going to be in the Middle East. We're going to be in the Millennial Kingdom. And it's going to be in the Middle East. So we can start getting our hearts and our minds ready for that reunion to be with our God and his people, who is not only just the people of Israel, as we know, not all who are Israel are Israel, but also the Gentiles. So this covenant blessing it's, it, that we're reading in the book of Revelation, its foundation is in the Abrahamic covenant. 
Here's what I want to do. I want to follow the blessing. Okay, it started with Abram and the Abrahamic covenant. Where did it go from there? Well, it went from Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob. And as for those of you who know the story, Jacob stole the blessing from Esau, but he got the blessing nonetheless. And Romans 9 gives us great insight into that. So when it says the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the blessing started with Abram, who later was renamed Abraham. And the way God operated is the blessing went from one person to the next, and then to the next, and then to the next, and to the next. There's this chain, this lineage that began with Abram. So when Abraham, following Abraham, the blessing went to Isaac. And then that blessing went from Isaac. He had, he had two you know, twin sons, Jacob and Esau, but then it went to Jacob. So then Jacob, the blessing is now with Jacob. You know what Jacob was, his name was later changed to? Israel. So Jacob renamed Israel. He had 12 sons, and they are the 12 tribes of Israel. So one of those sons was Judah. As Israel was at the end of his life, he passed the blessing to Judah. And that's recorded for us in Genesis 49. And by the way, you know, before he passed, he had a blessing and some discipline or cursing to all of his sons before he passed. But concerning Judah, this is what he said. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh, you heard of that? Shiloh? That's a messianic description. Comes. And to him, Messiah, shall be the obedience of the peoples. So the, the blessing that was given to Abram, Abraham, went from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Judah. Where did it go after Judah? Remember, the blessing is always passed from one person to the next, to the next, you know, to the next generation. Where did it go? After Judah, it went to King David. Do you know David is from Judah? In Matthew 1, verses 1 through 6, the genealogy. How many of us love the genealogy? (laughs) Come on. It says there, the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, who is he? the son of David, the son of Abraham. The blessing began with Abraham. It made its way to David. But I just showed you kind of high level, but it went from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Judah, David. And in, the, in Matthew 1, in verse 6, when it ties you know, the, the, the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and it goes through the genealogy, and it goes again back. Jesse was the father of David, the king. So after Judah, this blessing, stay with me. Remember, blessed is he. How can that blessing now manifest itself in our hearts so that the promised blessing in this book is not just words on the page, it's actually now real in our hearts, resulting in joy and happiness. we got to follow the blessing in that it went now to King David, 
And that blessing was reaffirmed through the Davidic covenant. So in 2 Samuel, and I've read this in, in, in part of our introductory prep work, but let me read that to you again. 2 Samuel 7. And just kind of a brief overview of the context here. David wanted to make the temple. He wanted to build a temple for God. And God said, David, you did well for wanting to do that. But you are a man with blood. You're a man of war. He goes, you're not going to build me a house. Instead, your son Solomon will build me a house. Oh, and by the way, because you had that in your heart, because you know what, David, I want to bless you. And I will make your family and your name, and I want to establish your throne forever. So let's read this Davidic covenant that God made with David in response to his desire. And this is from Nathan the prophet delivering the message. The Lord also declares to you, and he's speaking to David, that the Lord will make a house for you. We got to get that. David wanted to make a house for God. God says, no, David, that that was good that you thought that. I'm going to make a house for you, David. God's going to make you a house, David. God's going to make David a house? Let's, let's look more into that. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Okay, who is he talking about? When he says, I will, I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build a house for my name. Who's that? Jesus. But didn't Solomon do it too? Here's where it gets a little, I'm telling you, when when you dissect this portion of text, when it comes to prophecy, it's interlaid. Sometimes God is talking about Solomon, and sometimes he's talking about Messiah. Now, how do you know when he's talking about one or the other? You can't just read this by itself. You have to take the whole Bible. Let me help you with that. When he says, he shall build a house for my name, Solomon. But is it just limited to Solomon? Not exactly. And he says, I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Now let me ask you a rhetorical question. Is Solomon's kingdom established forever? What happened to Solomon? He died an idol worshiper. And because of his sin, there was no longer a united kingdom. Because of the choices that Solomon made, the united kingdom that was united you know, from the, you know, the, the house of Israel and the house of Judah under one kingdom and one rule, which was under David, passed on to Solomon as a united kingdom because of Solomon's sin and disobedience. That kingdom got split into two. And he left a lamp, Judah. And then you have the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, Judah. Did Solomon's kingdom get established forever? Obviously not. So who is this talking about a son of David from his line. He says, I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me when he commits iniquity. Who is he talking about when he commits iniquity? Solomon. But wait, he just talked about Christ earlier. See how it gets a little confusing? But you need to look at it and you need to take other scripture to say, okay, obviously Solomon sinned when you watch his life. This prophecy is talking about Solomon. Jesus was... He who knew no sin became a sin offering for us. We know he's not talking about Messiah. 
So he says, I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me when he commits sin. So he's talking about Solomon here. I will correct them with the rod of men and with the strokes of the sons of men, but my loving kindness shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul, Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house, he's talking to David. Remember, I'm going to build a house for you. David, your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever and your throne shall be established forever in accordance with all these words and all this vision. So Nathan spoke to David. So here's the Davidic covenant. God is promising to build David a house. He's going to establish his throne and his kingdom forever and that his house and his kingdom shall endure before God and before and his throne shall be established forever. Well, in Babylonian captivity, you know, Assyrian and Babylonian captivity, wasn't the kingdom of Judah also taken? Where is it? But God said here, David, I'm going to establish your throne forever. Where's David's throne? Is it here right now? But God promised. So just because it's not here right now, it's only temporary. So his throne is established from a heavenly perspective, and it will come to fruition. So after, the, after Judah, the blessing followed King David, and that blessing was reaffirmed through this Davidic covenant. So part of the blessing, the blessed is he, it's, you know, it went from the Abrahamic covenant and it was reconfirmed in the Davidic covenant. So you, you can say that it followed those two covenants. Now let me ask you a question. What about the Mosaic covenant? What about the law of Moses? That came in between, so after Abraham, Moses, and then after Moses, David. What happened? This is another covenant here in the, kind of in the middle. Where does that fall? And here's something this is important to note when we're talking about the Mosaic covenant. First of all, the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant only came with promised blessing. Here, catch this. In the Abrahamic covenant, there was no cursing for disobedience. And in the Davidic covenant that was reaffirmed, there was no cursing for disobedience. But when it came to the Mosaic Covenant, that came with both a blessing for obedience and a cursing for disobedience. And that is recorded for us in Deuteronomy 11, verses 26 through 28. See, I am setting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you listen to the commandment of the Lord your God, which I am commanding you today, and the curse, if you do not listen to the commandment of the Lord your God, but turn aside from the way which I am commanding you today by following other gods which you have not known. And we've learned this in our Daniel series. Because of Israel's, the people of Israel's disobedience, they did not receive a blessing but what? A curse. They didn't obey the Mosaic law as commanded and stipulated by God including the Sabbath day rest, the Sabbath years of rest that was due to the land and that was tied to them being taken into captivity because of their disobedience. And we got to get this. Remember we were following the blessing, the blessed is he? Starts with the Abrahamic covenant. It did not go to the the Mosaic covenant. We got to get that. The promised blessing did not follow the law of Moses. And this is what Paul, if you read his letters... 
He made this clear over and over and over again. And let me just use you know, an example or two. In Romans 3, this is to show that the law, the blessing didn't follow the law. The blessing that was promised to Abraham and his descendants and to all the families of the earth will be blessed. It did not transfer and follow the Mosaic covenant. Uh, Paul speaks on that on Romans 3 and we'll begin at 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be closed and all the world may be accountable to God. Because why? By the works of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So the promised blessing in the Abrahamic covenant, it didn't pass to the Torah. The blessing in the Torah was concerning the covenant people of Israel that they entered into covenant with their God. And if they obeyed, they'd be blessed. And if they disobeyed, they'd be cursed. And if you follow that account, you know, after you know, they, they, were, they were taken out of the great exodus and when they were you know, getting ready to settle into the land, they said, we will do whatever God wants from us. So as a people... And as, as, as a nation, as a people, they said, we, the people of Israel, will identify as your people, and by that identification comes with the observance of the Torah. But Paul makes it clear, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, it wasn't intended to give blessing, you know, to, to bring justification, because he says, by, no works, by works of the law, no flesh will be justified. But Paul says, it is... But um, as we'll see, it is to be a guardian. And Paul made that distinction between the blessing promised to Abraham versus the law also in Galatians 3. But before faith came, beginning verse 23, he says, We the Jews were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore the law has become our tutor, uh, pedagogos, that, uh, the, the law has become kind of like a children teacher, like an instructor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, here's how we belong to Christ. It isn't through obeying the law, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. How are we tied to Christ? How are we tied to the covenant blessing? Faith. Faith. Abraham was justified by faith. Well, works in that his faith was working and producing works, but, but at its very core, it is faith. So where I'm getting at in all this, remember, we're following the blessed is he. The blessing that was promised to Abraham that all the families of the earth will be blessed. It wasn't tied to observing rules, laws, and regulations. It was connected to faith. And faith, by definition, is to believe but not see with your eyes. That's called the eyes of faith. We don't see God, but faith says, well, we know even though I don't see you, your handiwork is obvious, and because of that. And, be, and, and also faith is, even though I wasn't there, to witness Jesus being nailed to a cross, being bludgeoned, 
and dying. Even though I wasn't there, you've recorded that for us through your apostles and their associates. And here we are, and even though we're not, we weren't there 2,000 years ago, I believe his message. I believe that he is the Son of God. And I believe that he is the only Savior of all mankind. When you believe, the blessing will follow. So we're children of God, not because of our obedience to the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And that promised blessing in the Abrahamic covenant is tied to faith in Messiah. You want to be happy? Have faith in the promised one who came and is going to come again. Here's a case in point. We're going to wrap, we're kind of getting somewhere. The promised blessing in the Abrahamic covenant didn't transfer to the law, but instead it went from the Abrahamic covenant and reaffirmed in the Davidic covenant. So the blessing followed Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, Judah, David, and that blessing was reaffirmed through the Davidic covenant. And as a, hopefully that becomes clear. When it comes to the Mosaic covenant, there's no blessing in that, okay? So that's a kind of a relief for us. Actually, it should be a relief for the Jews, because it's supposed to be a schoolmaster, a tutor, kind of a child guardian, teacher, instructor, to lead them to Messiah. You're like, okay, well, we're going to continue to observe you know, the festivals and you know, whatever you know, God asks of us as a people, you know, as far as the sacrifices and everything. We'll continue to do that until the Messiah comes, who is the one who's actually... This, this, what we're doing is really a shadow of the Messiah who is to come and will fulfill all righteousness. That was the intent of the law. There is no promised blessing or salvation in the Mosaic Covenant. And if that, that kind of makes sense. So why did Jesus have to institute, you know, in the Lord's Supper, he instituted a new covenant. For the former covenant, what covenant is that? The Mosaic Covenant. And part of the Mosaic Covenant was the Lord, you know, Passover, one of the feasts. But Jesus, he instituted a new covenant in this time by his blood because the former covenant is now obsolete. And it's done its purpose as far as revealing you know, um, what's required, I guess you can say, um, in terms of obedience. And as we know, the Lord Jesus Christ, he obeyed perfectly. So the promised blessing is by faith. And where did the promised blessing, don't, click, don't go to the next page just yet. After David, where did it go? It went from Abrahamic covenant to the Davidic covenant. And after that, where did the promised blessing transfer to? Remember, it goes from person to person, generation to generation. Jesus. That's right, Jesus Christ. How do we know that? Okay, remember, I just mentioned the genealogies in Matthew 1, Luke 3. You know the boring part of Scripture? Uh, it's but it's actually, there's blessing in it because if you follow it, it, you follow the blessing. It started with Abraham, right? And you follow the lineage. And ultimately, there's a connection between Abraham and Christ and, and, or, and David and Christ and David. It's all through that line, even all the way up to Adam. Jesus, the promise chain was never broken. So if you follow the genealogies, the blessing promised to Abraham went to Isaac, Jacob, Judah, David, Jesus. This is what it means. You know the promised blessing? 
is in the first coming of Christ because he came and that promised blessing continues for his second coming. So we are blessed, happy when we reflect on Jesus' first coming. Here's where we're going to get it. You want to be happy? You want to have joy in your spirit? Believe the Scriptures. And see God work through the different epochs of time. And how God is a, he's not like a man that he should lie. And that when he makes a promise and he makes a covenant, he does not break his promise and he doesn't break his covenant. And let me just tell you, he did not break covenant with Israel. He did not. They broke covenant with him and he's disciplining them. But God did not break covenant with them. It came from God. The blessing started with God and he delivered on that promise by sending his son. That's happy. If Jesus never came, we ha- no one has any hope. Any hope for forgiveness of sins, any hope of eternal life, any hope of being reconciled back to our Creator. We have no hope. So be happy and rejoice that Jesus came as promised in the Scriptures. That's where the blessing is. And then, as we'll see when we study the book of Revelation, now that blessing will also continue as we look forward to His return on earth. So I do want to make another comment and then we'll, we'll kind of wrap this up. What else is the blessing tied to? Okay, we, we followed its origin, we followed the source, and we followed it through the covenantal blessings from Abrahamic covenant to the Davidic covenant. And by the way, those two covenants are still relevant today. So right now, for us believers, if we have faith in Messiah, we are Abraham's descendants, regardless of your ethnic background. Because we have the same faith as Abraham. He did not see the promise that was promised to him, but he believed. And he believed God's promises. He believed that he would be made a great nation. He believed that, you know, by believing in him, that righteousness was credited to him. He believed. So the Abrahamic covenant is still relevant today. And the Davidic covenant is still relevant today, but we don't see it. But part of the blessing will be when the Davidic covenant, when God promised to establish the son of David's throne, when that comes to pass. And it's going to be in the Middle East, it's going to be in Jerusalem, and it's going to be on the Temple Mount. That's where we're going. Whether or not we go there by plane, or, or whether we die and come back with Christ over there, I'm going to see you all over there. But let's look at what else is this blessing tied to? Luke 11. What is it tied to? We, we followed that it, it, it's, it's connected or associated with the covenantal blessings. But what, what, what is it tied to? So in Luke 11, in, this, in the, the context here, Jesus casts out a demon and the crowd alleged that it was by Beelzebul. Let's pick it up in verse 27. While Jesus was saying these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, on the contrary, blessed, here, makarios, Happy are those who hear the word of God and observe it. So the blessing is connected to hearing the word of God and observing it. Philoso, which means to guard, to watch over it. Let me, let me say it another way. The promised blessing that we are studying, you know, even here now in the book of Revelation, blessed is he. The blessing is in here. I know it's a lot, huh? 
It's a lot of pages. Look, we went through one verse in two weeks. And really the blessing, when you really think about it, take a step back. When you go from Genesis to Revelation, it has the beginning of time to the end of time. It's all in here. And everything in between, God's redemptive story concerning also a people and a land and also the, the, the covenants that we talked about. But when you read Genesis to Revelation, it just goes from the creation account to the uncreation account to the eternal state, the new heavens and the new earth. So let me, let me say it this way. Take your eyes off the Bible, take your eyes off God, and just focus on this world. There's going to be a lot of heartache, a lot of disappointment, a lot of hopelessness, especially when evil is continuing on its trajectory. Lawlessness will increase. That's one of the prophecies, more so on that side of the world, but you know, we can even say globally, lawlessness will increase. What's happy in that? There's no happiness. If you take, take your eyes off of his word and the promises that's there, and you are focused on the world and the world events and what's going on and who's in power and all this stuff, trust me, it's just a whirlwind. And what's interesting, and you know, when Paul instructed Timothy, he says, do not get involved in civilian affairs because a good soldier listens, right, to his commanding officer. What's civilian affairs? The world, government, politics, the workings. What regular people are all wrapped up about. Oh, I hate this corrupt person. I hate that person. I hate this. Or my rights to this. Or this and that. Boom, boom, boom. Whirlwind. Well, what did he say? Don't get entangled in that stuff. Preach, teach the word in season and out of season. Because this has God's will and plan. And all this righteousness will come. All of the injustices, all of the corruption, all of the evil. You know, right now, all of the unpunished crimes, all of the unpunished murders, all of the unpunished you know, criminals that are walking the street right now, they will be punished. If Christ didn't take that punishment. There will be an unending reign of righteousness that's coming. So let's not get wrapped up here. Then, you know what's going to happen? What's going to happen? You're going to get happy. I was like, oh, you know, that, that world leader went down. Boom, one domino. Here comes Christ. Come on. Lay out the red carpet. His coming is near. Happiness is when we believe and accept the scriptures and it also surrounding Jesus' first coming and his second coming. He's coming back, guys. He says, in fact, I'm coming quickly. He's coming. And when we ponder on that and we really think about that and allow that truth to resonate in our hearts trust me through through the authority of scripture you will be blessed and you will be happy because you're going to go to be with your savior just a little side note here verse three this is an, an opinion now i'm putting a disclaimer please here this is an opinion if you were to ask me i think verse three should be in red Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it for the time is near. Why? It's pretty much identical to when Jesus was definitely quoted in 22.7. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. So if I were part of that committee and we were talking about what are they going to redline, you know, what are they going to make red as Jesus' words, I would actually put verse 3 in red as well. 
but it's not critical. It's just more of a technical observation. You know, when you get into a lot of this, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's Jesus speaking. I mean, he's passing the message. It's pretty much quoting Christ. Quote Christ, it's make it red. You're quoting him, right? You know, it's like, and I quote, blessed is he who comes, right? He's really quoting from Jesus. So are you ready? Now, let me, we went through three verses. Can I give you the Amplified now, the Katroha Amplified, verses one through three? And tell me, hopefully, if this makes a little more clear. Are you ready? The unveiling of Jesus Christ to his slaves, saints, and the rest of the world, which God the Father gave Jesus to show Jesus' slaves, the apostles, the prophets, and saints, the times and epochs determined by God the Father, including end-time events, which must soon take place according to God's timetable. And Jesus sent and communicated this message by his angel to Jesus' slave John, The angel testified on behalf of Jesus, who testified on behalf of God the Father to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all the angel saw he delivered to John. Blessed is he who reads, studies, guards, protects, and believes the words of the prophecy of this book. For the time is near, according to God's timetable, to receive all the promised blessings in Scripture. Thank you so much for listening today to Truth Matters Church. Indeed, we are blessed when we read and study Scripture. And as we look forward to Christ's return and the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham, we can certainly find true joy, hope, and happiness. If you haven't already, please be sure to mark us as a favorite on Sermon Audio or subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform. And don't forget to connect with us at truthmatterschurch.org. That's truthmatterschurch.org. Contending for the faith one verse at a time. This is Truth Matters Church.